I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Still in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, and we're going to begin this morning in verse 22. So again, Matthew 14, verse 22. Now, we're going to go through verse 36, so through the end of the chapter uh, this morning. But our, our, our primary focus is going to be this interesting and engaging passage beginning in verse 22. If you get the ESV, it has that, that heading to it that says, Jesus walks on the water. You know, last week uh, we, we saw in the prior passage, we saw that the undeniable power of the Lord Jesus that was exhibited for many in the feeding of the, the 5,000, which as we went through it, if you, if you were here, we, we talked about the fact it wasn't just 5,000. You include the, the, the men and women and children and probably 7,000, 8,000. We don't know the exact number, but a huge, massive group of people. And this miraculous work by the Lord Jesus as he fed all the people, every person that was there, Three loaves, I'm sorry, five loaves of bread, two fish, broke it, distributed, fed, 12 baskets that were left over uh, that they collected at the end. So again, this, this great demonstration of the power of the Lord Jesus that was seen, it was experienced by many, many people. Now the scene that immediately follows that, which is the one that we're looking at this morning, uh, is all about answering the question, so what? So, so what, therefore, are you, you going to do about it? Uh, about this, about this God who is able to work in these ways. And in order to answer this question, we're going to go in this passage from the large masses of, of people, thousands of people, all the way down to this close, small, 12 uh, men, 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus. Now, the big crowd, uh, they're going to they're gonna respond to that, respond to the, the miraculous work of Jesus. They're going to respond in their own way. In fact, we see, you can go to John's account of that in, in John's Gospel chapter 6, and you can see how the people responded. They went to, to the Lord Jesus and they tried to make Him their king. What they wanted was a political ruler. Uh, and so they, they saw His power and they went to, to create their own solution. What they decided they wanted was a political ruler, but uh, they weren't able to see Him for who He really is and for what He really came came for. And so what we're seeing today is the right response. And a right response is a response of faith. And so that can only come from those who are disciples of Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I'm going to begin reading again in, in verse 22. I just remind you as I begin to read this, that uh, this follows immediately after what has just happened. Jesus fed the large crowd and then we get this account, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Verse 34, And when they had crossed over, they came to, a, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men at that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Please uh, join me in prayer. Father, uh, as we come to this passage this morning, we thank you for the knowledge that we can have that this is your word, this is describing in narrative form that which happened and it is given and has been written down by Matthew, in this case, under your guidance, your hand, for our benefit, for our understanding, for our building up. We thank you for that this morning, and, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have eyes that are open to see, ears that are ready to hear, that we might take this and apply it to ourselves, and therefore, under your guidance, bear good fruit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, what we see in this, this passage that I just read through uh, about the disciples going out on the boat, um, we're seeing the Lord Jesus setting up what would happen next. In other words, the very circumstances that would bring about this, this great fear that we see amongst the disciples. Now, we saw the same sort of thing in the passage that we read earlier about uh, Jacob and his brother Esau. Uh, in that passage, over 20 years had elapsed since uh, Jacob had seen his brother, and when he had last seen his brother, as I mentioned before, Esau was, uh, was, was bent on killing Jacob. Why? Because Jacob had swindled him uh, out of his inheritance, out of uh, the blessing of their, their father Isaac, uh, because that's who Jacob was, uh, the old Jacob. He was a swindler. And yet now, after all this time, Jacob 
seeking to follow the Lord's command and, and to return and to humble himself before his, his brother, something that was completely out of character for him. And then Jacob, in coming there, received word that Esau was coming toward him with 400 men. It was, it was clear, at least in his mind, what was happening. And that passage that uh, preceded the one that we read said that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You can imagine why. Have you ever been in that kind of a position? You've got a path before you that you know is the right path. This is the path that's right to take. This is the path that honors the Lord God. This is perhaps what He's calling me to follow. And yet at the same time, you've got a great deal of fear inside, anxiety about uh, the unknown, about what might happen. Uh, in some cases, it may even be a paralyzing fear that you feel inside. And, and you know in going down this path, Perhaps, this is often the case, you know that you're, you're doing something that's beyond your own capability to do. Uh, that you're being called to something that perhaps is outside of, of everything that you've ever done, of, of anything that you've ever been in your own character, in your own way of doing things. Um, but you know what can be comforting in going through something like that is the knowledge that that predicament in a sense that you're in, uh, that you, you are to follow this path, and yet there's great fear there. Uh, the understanding that, that the Lord is the one who has provided for exactly that. He's provided for all the fear to be there, all the uncertainty, all the, the sense of, no, this is not me. I'm not able to, to do this. Uh, well, that's what happened to, to Jacob. And this is what happened with Peter and those who are in the boat in this account that we're looking at today. Uh, notice how early on in this account, uh, Jesus sent them out. It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the lake. This is uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, many miles across uh, to, to go across the lake in the dark, uh, now, these men were, some of them, were fishermen. Certainly, they would have been uh, familiar with how to, to, to operate uh, in uh, going across the lake, how to get to the other side. But they also knew how dangerous the storms could be on the Sea of Galilee. You know, we've got this, this account that happened earlier in, in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus was with him, with them. He was with the disciples in the boat. They were all together. Uh, and a great storm came up. And the winds were beating against the boat, and it said that the disciples were terrified. It seems that maybe the boat would capsize, and Jesus stood up and he rebuked the winds. And we see his great power shown uh, as he calmed the seas. Well, certainly here, they would have wanted that. They would have wanted him with them. But instead, he remained back, and he dismissed the large crowds that were there, knowing what he was about. And he went up on the mountain, and he began to, to pray. Uh, he was alone, praying. Now, all this was the Lord's doing, all of it according to his plan. And so right about 
the time when they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, we see that the storm came on full force. If you look at verse 24, the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And to them, it must have seemed that they were completely on their own. Jesus was not with them. Uh, and perhaps they had the thought at this time that their boat would capsize and that there would be loss that would occur. And it's right about then, right at this point, when it says they saw him walking on the sea. And they cried out. They said, it, it's a ghost. Uh, they, they were in fear. They cried out in great fear. It says that they were terrified. Uh, you know that word terrified means that there was, uh, the, the word itself, there was great turmoil in, inside of them. Uh, they didn't know what to think. They didn't know how to, to act. It could have been that they were paralyzed by this fear. Uh, you know, when he came to them, it was already dark. They were already afraid, but now there's this figure that's walking on the water doing what, if you think about it, only Jesus is able to do. You know, sometimes that's the way that God sovereignly works in our lives. He creates circumstances for us to respond to Him in a particular way. Uh, we need to think about that often. Uh, now, the crowds that are out there, uh, the crowds are always going to respond in their own way. Even many of those who, who see the Lord Jesus and they know something about uh, who He is and about His power, but the crowds that aren't His disciples uh, often will, will follow Him in their own way, seeking their own things from Him. But for the disciple... The Lord is always calling us to respond out of knowledge of who He is and in full dependence upon Him uh, as we hear His Word to respond. Really, out of all of our fears, out of all of our hesitations, all of our doubt, to respond in faith in Christ. So how do we do that? What's, what's involved? Respond by faith in Christ. People often ask that question. How do I have faith in Christ? Especially me uh, in this place in which I am. How do I respond by faith in Christ? Now we can answer that in a number of different ways. But at the heart of them, they're all saying the same thing. You know, John the Apostle wrote his entire gospel account in order to answer that question. That you may believe, that you may have faith, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith in His name. He wrote His whole account for that purpose. Here in this passage, that we get a picture of that faith in the reaction of especially Peter and to some extent the others who were with him. And so what I want us to see in answering that question, uh, what does faith truly look like, a living faith. Uh, there are three things I'd like for us to see in what Peter does to answer that question. First of all, that he rests in his word, in the word of Christ. Secondly, that he casts himself upon him, upon the Lord Jesus. And then finally, that he worships him along with the others who are in the boat. 
those three things. Rest, rest in His Word. Cast yourself upon Him. Worship Him. So first of all, we must rest in His Word. You know, true faith depends upon us recognizing this, recognizing His Word for what it truly is. In other words, it calls for us to, to connect the person of Christ with the Word so that inside we're convicted that this comes from the person with all of His power and all of His authority. Uh, and therefore, we listen to it. Now, think about the state that the disciples were in. They were, they were in the middle of the sea, uh, a large, what we would call a lake, but extremely large. Think of Lake Michigan uh, in, in those sorts of terms. Not quite as large, but uh, uh, they had been in the midst of the storm for hours. Uh, in fact, if you calculate the time back, it says that uh, Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. And so if they had left immediately after the meal, which was in the evening, getting dark, uh, let's say they, they left at 9 p.m., that's at least six hours that they had been out there on the water. may have been up to nine hours that they were out on the water battling the wind, battling the storm. They would have been tired. They would have been afraid for their lives. And then verse 26 says that when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were thrown into confusion. They didn't know what to think. And as a result, Jesus says to them two things. And he must have had to, to shout this out uh, with the, the, the sound of the waves and the, and the wind. And he says to them, Take heart, it is I. And do not be afraid. You know, his first statement is, is very simple. A literal translation would be this. Take heart, be of courage. It is, it is I, or, or could be translated, I am. In other words, I am He. I am your Lord. I am the one who has taken you and, and guided you and, and chosen you as my disciples. And I am the one whose power you have seen. I am the one whose love you have experienced. In other words, you know me. You belong to me. And therefore, on that basis, you can believe my command. You know me, therefore believe my command when I tell you, this is the second, do not be afraid. And we need to see the connection between the two. Uh, first of all, it's I am He uh, that we see the Lord Jesus for who He truly is and we recognize Him and all of His power, all of His authority and then we see His Word for what it is. Uh, therefore, this is my Word and so when I say do not be afraid, when I give you a command, you must uh, take it and abide in it. Uh, what he's saying is, rest in my word. You know, this is the preparation that is needed that goes before faith. Uh, there is a resting in God's word because you know the person. There's this sense of, of safety because you, you, you recognize who he is uh, and that you are relying upon his word. Now, I can remember a particular video. I think it was one that was given to us years ago 
we had uh, small children, and the video was about stranger safety. Uh, and in the video, it called some people don't knows, and other people it called kind of knows. And the video said that no matter who they are, if they're don't knows or they're kind of knows, then you don't follow them and you don't listen to their word that they share with you. You, you turn and you go the other direction. But then the video talked about some people, parents said, and, and maybe a couple of others that the parents have designated. And it said, these are safe side adults, what it called them. Uh, these are the ones that you can trust. These are the ones that you can give yourself over to. And we know that even in this world, there, there, there is trouble with that sometimes, but not with the Lord Jesus. Our God is a safe side God, one whom we can always trust, who we can always rest upon His Word. We can take it, we can rely upon it, we can give ourselves over to it. You know, the Lord puts us into these kinds of situations because He wants us to prevail in them. Think about Jacob and his wrestling with God. That ultimately what the Lord wanted there was for Jacob to prevail. And the same is true. There will be a struggle when there's fear in our hearts, when there are unknowns in front of us. But when He has given us instruction and says, follow me, do this, go on this path, uh, there is safety in His Word. You might be afraid. You might think that, no, this is impossible. I can't do this. Kind of like Jacob would have said with his brother Esau or Peter with the other disciples uh, there. But he calls us to rest in his word, to trust in him. Now there's a passage, Isaiah 43. There are many, many passages that we can go to that help us with this. Isaiah 43, uh, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Notice, He's talking about who, who He is, that He is the Creator, and He has this connection with you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, for I have called you by name. You are Mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In other words, you, you know me. You belong to me. You're mine. Therefore, on that basis, trust me in what I say. Do not be afraid. You know, that's what Peter hears in this account. And so notice what we see, that his, his paralysis, his fear that was there only moments before it evaporates. And Peter responds and he casts himself upon the Lord Jesus. Now this, this is true faith. This is a living faith. It's like Peter, knowing that you are weak, knowing uh, that you are incapable yourself, but also knowing that you are with the one who has all power and all authority in and of himself. And so 
look with me what he does. Uh, look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, answered the Lord Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why would Peter make this request of Jesus? You know, it seems like a very strange request. He says, command me to come to you on the water. Peter is, he's impetuous. He, Peter just steps out and does things, often without thinking. Uh, and so, why would he make this request? Why wouldn't he just start off, and if he's going to get out of the boat, get out of the boat? Well, it must have been because in taking that first step, Peter knew that he was doing something that was beyond and outside of everything that he had known before naturally, the way that things naturally function. And it was something that was dangerous. You know, maybe I've got a little bit of experience. I was in the Navy, so I have a little bit of experience with being on the water, even though uh, my experience was elsewhere there. But uh, any mariner, I think anyone who spends much time on the water, probably knows these things that... Uh, if you're in a boat and it's night, it's dark out, you're in the middle of a, a large body of water, there's, there's no land nearby, and you're in the midst of a storm, and it's a bad storm, there's one thing that you must do, and that is stay in the boat. Yet we're going to read about Peter in just a moment, and what's he going to do? He's going to get out of the boat. He's going to do something that must have been, in his mind and others' minds, life-threatening, that under any other circumstances he would never do, not even Peter. And so if he was going to do this, Peter certainly had to make sure that he was not merely doing it as Peter, that he was not doing it under his own impetus out of his own mind and, and thought and ideas and under his own power. He wanted to make sure that the Lord Jesus was with him, that it was the Lord himself who had called him to it and who was behind it all. And only then, only then, could he know that this is the right thing to do and that he is in good hands and that each step would be on solid ground. You know, that's how true faith works. Faith is always something that is in someone or in something. There, there's got to be solid ground. Uh, if you look at what faith really is, faith is certainty. Look at the definition, the, the one best definition that's given in Hebrews chapter 11, and it speaks about a certainty, yet you just can't see with your own eyes, there is a certainty there. There's solid ground. Uh, you often hear people saying, you've just got to have faith. But notice, they won't say faith in whom. And faith apart from a foundation is no faith at all. Uh, there's got to be a basis for that faith. And in Christ, there is power and there is authority as that basis for the faith. And so, so, so Peter says, Lord, if it is you, 
In other words, if it's not, I don't want anything to do with this. But if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. And the Lord Jesus says that one word that Peter wanted to hear. Come. Come. And then Peter who loved the Lord, and Peter who wanted to be with the Lord, and therefore uh, was looking to join together with Him, he stepped out of the boat in utter dependence upon the authority and upon the power of the Lord Jesus. And that's what needs to be you. And that's what needs to be me. That is a living faith. You know, I, I remember back when I first came to a saving faith, first came to faith in Christ. Not everyone can remember the, the time frame when that occurs, but I can. I was about 34 years old, and I distinctly remember thinking this, that in, in order to follow, in order to accept, in order to receive this, that I've, I've got to give myself over to supernatural means that, that, that God has worked and that He does work outside of the things that we consider natural in this world. Now, for me, there wasn't a hesitation in that, which I thank the Lord for, but there was a realization and there was an acceptance of that. You know, there is an entire liberal church out there that can't accept that. Uh, for them, this passage has to be a, a, a parable, a story that's been made up, perhaps in order to teach some ethical principle. But for them, Jesus could not have walked on water. For them, Jesus could not have made wine out of water. Nor could He have been born of a virgin, nor resurrected from the dead. But also for them, there is no yoking ourselves to one who has all power and all authority and to one for whom nothing is outside of His control and to one who is able to save us to the uttermost. So the question, who is Jesus to you? Is that the Jesus? Or is this the Jesus? Are you ready like Peter, day after day in a sense, it's not always like this, but day after day to cast yourself upon Him, trusting in Him, even when things seem impossible to your own eyes, even when reason alone would lead you down a different path. You know, for Peter... Based upon reason alone, it would have said, don't do it. Don't take that step out of the boat. The same was true for, for Jacob. Uh, reason would have said, don't do it. Don't face Esau and his 400 men and set your wives and your children and yourself out before him. Think about it. The same would have been true for Abraham. Do you think? Back, if you know the story, Genesis 22, when he was told, it was God's Word, take your son and place him upon this altar and then make a sacrifice of him 
And so he, he continued forward. He raised the knife over his head. If it was reason, he never would have done it if it was reason alone. You know, think about it. How many missionaries uh, have followed the call of Jesus to go to all parts of the world to take the gospel uh, and, and to provide it that people might hear when if it were up to reason alone, and many people told, have told them this and tell them this, don't do it. The medical facilities aren't what they need to be. Uh, you, you likely won't even come back alive. How many would have continued forward to places often where the gospel is closed to the people? The government stands against them. And reason says, don't do it. Well, Peter, when he got out of the boat, he didn't get out of the boat based upon his own power and his own strength. But he got out of the boat because he knew that he was together with a God who is all-powerful and almighty, a God who works both within natural means that he has provided and outside of those means in order to accomplish his purposes. And because he was the one who said to him, come, come. You know, this, this is faith. This is faith, casting ourselves upon the Lord Jesus, trusting in His power, in His authority, even when we can't see the other end. Now, not perfectly, not perfectly. And isn't it great that in this passage, isn't it comforting that we, we, we see Peter who steps out of the boat and he begins to walk to the Lord Jesus upon the water and then... It says, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, no, he didn't see the wind, he saw the effects of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. No, our faith is not always going to be perfect, as Peter's faith wasn't perfect. But what we can rely upon is as we follow, as we get out of the boat, as we walk and we take those steps of true faith, looking to the one who has called us and who has said, come, we can know that no matter what, his hand is there. And that when we have those moments of doubt, and we will, and we begin to sink, that he will reach out immediately, it says, and grab a hold of us. We, we may often hear those words, that Jesus said to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've shown you my power again and again. You know who I am. Why did you doubt? We may hear those words, but we still have the assurance as we follow Him that we are in His hands and we will remain in His hands as one of His. Yes, faith is resting upon God's Word. Faith is casting ourselves upon Him and finally, faith culminates in worshiping Him. Now, this is something that we so often see in Scripture. Uh, we, we see it here uh, that for those who are resting in God's Word, who are casting themselves upon the Lord Jesus, uh, and who, who, who see, therefore, what He does in all of His magnificence, all of His glory, they are driven to what? They are driven to worship 
him. Look at verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Think about all that they had seen, all that they had experienced. Jesus had, had just walked upon the water. And he had called Peter to him to do the same. Through and through, this was Jesus demonstrating his, his power. And he had delivered Peter from plunging into the depths of the water. He had gotten in the boat, and we, we see the calm and the quiet as he quiets the storm. Think about what he had done. He, he had, when they were separate, they were apart from him, he had come out uh, upon the water, all the way out to them in order to comfort them, in order to strengthen their faith. And in all of this, his love and his power and his glory were, were, were demonstrated to the disciples. And the result was, what? That they were humbled, that they were amazed and that word worship, you know, literally what it means is to, to fall down prostrate before. Uh, they, 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 they fell down looking to the Lord Jesus and recognizing Him for who He tr truly is with hearts of thanksgiving uh, in grateful adoration to Him. And this is a part of faith. As we recognize the work of the Lord Jesus in our lives, as we recognize who He is, as we follow Him, what do we, we are drawn to worship Him. And so they say, and we say, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, one observation about this confession that the, the disciples make here, and that is that it's automatic. Notice, it, it, it's not something that their worship and the statement that comes out of them, it's not something that, uh, that is kind of a, a box that they knew they needed to check, uh, worship checked off. It's not something where they're, they're sort of paying their, their dues. No, what we see is that they're driven to this. They're driven based upon who they know and what they've seen, what they've experienced. It is a, a natural response. You know, worship is something that God has designed us to do. That we're driven to when we recognize the beauty and the greatness of our Lord. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times and seasons when we don't feel inside, our, our feelings are not there, uh, and it may be because of our, our sin or certain circumstances in our lives, and, and, and we're not in that place. That's me at times. I'm certain that's, that's others here as well at times. But ultimately, what worship should be, what it's designed to be, is that which comes out of a recognition of who God truly is and what He has done, so that when we see the Lord active in our lives, and we see Him overcoming the fears in our lives that were there before, and we see Him instilling in us that amazing peace, and, and when we look around us and we're able to see cold, dead hearts responding to the Gospel, and when we see 
Him revealed in His Word as we gather together with one another and, and we look into it to take His Word, understand it, apply it to ourselves. And we see through the elements. Uh, we see the inward work of the Lord Jesus and we know with greater and greater assurance that He is ours and that we are His. We know that we're forgiven. We're exonerated from all of our transgressions. We have that inner assurance. All of these things, as we come to experience them and see them, what do we do? We're made to respond with adoration. We're made to respond with praise and with thanksgiving. And I'm going to turn here uh, to a, a psalm, and that's Psalm 100, uh, which, which I, I think is kind of like a, a template psalm of praise and thanksgiving uh, to the Lord. And you can just listen to these words. You can turn there if you'd like. Uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Do you hear those words? Those are words that are designed to spring out of a heart that knows the Lord and that longs to worship Him because of who He is, because of what He has done, because of who we are in Him. This worship should be the culmination of all faith. It's seeing the Lord for who He truly is, knowing that we ourselves belong to Him and that we are experiencing something of His power in our lives and His love for us. As we look to His Word, trust in His Word, abide in His Word, as we cast ourselves upon Him, fully knowing that we are in the right hands and the right place as we follow Him down the path that He calls us to, and then finally as we look to Him as our God and as we worship Him. Uh, this is what we see in this passage, and this is faith, a living faith. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You uh, this morning for that which you have given. Uh, you have given for us to respond to you in faith. We recognize as we read these words this morning that you also bring us into, like Peter and, and the group that were with him, into those circumstances that take us out of our element, that place us in a place of confusion, that often paralyze us with fear, Yet you have given for us in the midst of that to respond to you by faith, by true faith, by a living faith. Father, we are weak. Help us to see that. Help us to know that, that in and of ourselves we are weak. You are strong. Help us to see that and to know that and therefore to cling to Christ, to follow you. Uh, we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen.